0: So again this morning we continue in our study in the book of Revelation and we're going to look at chapter 7 which is a pause if you think about this. There is these uh, seals that's been opened up, six seals and we're sitting in anticipation waiting for the seventh seal to be opened up but then there's this pause. And there's so many questions, I don't know about you, but there's so many questions as you go through the book of Revelation that that starts coming up, questions in your mind. And it's as if the Lord pauses now and He's answering some of those questions. Uh, One of those questions is, what happens to Israel? Israel, that country right now in the Middle East, that center point of the whole universe, that center point of the whole earth, all of this is happening. The seals open up, the horses, on the, the, the horses and, and the riders comes out and they play their part on the earth. And we see destruction. We see total chaos, catastrophes happening and all of this. What about this nation? This nation that God has chosen to show a godless people how to approach a holy God. That's why He chose Israel. It is a signpost for us. It is an example for us. The whole Old Testament, Old Testament, as we follow that nation, as we see how they go away from God, turn their back on God, and how God comes back and He punishes them. He punishes them with a people around them. And then, when they turn back to God, then He punishes the punishers. The people who punish them get punished by God. And a lot of people might think it's unfair. Why does this happen so? And it's this reason how privileged we are as a, as a child of God here to sit and look at that nation and to know that God has given us an example through that nation. First of all, that our Savior is born through that nation. He was born through that nation for us so that we could sit here, free men, free women, free children all over the world. How wonderful is that? But also, that nation shows us how people with sin, unholy people, can approach a holy God. And He gave the law. And we know that the law is only a tutor. It's a teacher. It teaches us that we cannot make it on our own. It teaches us that we fall short. And how many times this last week have you fallen short? How many times have I fallen short? Do we need a law to tell us that we're falling short? No, we've got a conscience. We know when we do something wrong. It is engraved in the DNA of this earth. Every single nation under the sun has got the law printed on their hearts, whether they like it or not. I do not believe there's an agnostic. I do not believe there's an atheist. This is a lie which is dust up out of the pit of hell, thrown upon people to give them, listen very carefully, to give them an excuse. That's what it is. There ain't no agnostics, it's an excuse. Oh, I'm an agnostic, I don't believe in a God. Well, you are telling a lie. It's an excuse for you. And He showed His marvelous love for us. And He gave us an example, and and, and we see now in the book of Revelation this catastrophic happen. The church has been taken out of the world, and I absolutely believe that. I do not believe that the church is made to stand under the wrath of God. But I want to take you through another passage quickly again. I want you to open up in, in Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. What chapter is that? The chapter of love. (laughs) Isn't it so that all of the people always say it's the chapter of love? But there's much more. There's much more in that chapter there. So, I just want to read one verse to you. I'm going to parachute into that chapter. But we all know that chapter and you can read the, the, the context there. But there's one specific verse there which stood out for me this morning. In verse 12. The Word of God says the following, He says, For now we see in a mirror dimly. For now we see in a mirror dimly. The King James puts it this way, We see through a glass which is stained. You know what it means? It means that if you look through something, you can't see clearly what is on the other side. When we look in a mirror, we can only see a reflection of ourselves. We cannot see what's behind the glass. It's beautiful, these pictures in the Word of God. And here we are in 2016, living in Melbourne in the acceptable year of the Lord, and we look at a book like Revelation and we see only dimly. We can only see dimly, we don't see the full picture yet. It's only when we pass from this life into the other life, the afterlife, that we will see clearly. I want to make this point to you as we continue on. He says further there, But then, but then, but then, when, but then, face to face, now I know in part, you see again, I know in part now, We are sitting here, we know in part, we study the scriptures, we read books about people studying the scriptures, some of us see movies concerning the scriptures, but we only know in part, because there's secrets of God which we do not know, there's Dios of it is veiled from our eyes. And we need the Dios revelator. We need God to reveal these things to us. And there's only one book that brings us so close, so, so close to it. It's the Word of God. Only one book. So close. We read God's mind here. We understand how He operates by looking at examples in the Old Testament. We come so close, my friends, but we are not there to understand every single thing concerning God. I as a man standing in front of you are saying that there is no man on this earth alive today who knows every single thing about God. It ain't possible. Oh, there's many who know a lot of things, but not all. The Word says we know in part, but then I shall know just as I also am known. Go over with me now to 1 Corinthians. Just flick it back a few chapters to, to the front. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Now, I told you we've got the Word of God. It brings us so close. But there's something else that brings us even closer. Closer. Some people just read the Bible as a textbook. And there's some benefits that will come out of that. If you read the Bible, just as a textbook, you will learn more about God. Textually. That's the knowledge of God. You will get the knowledge of God. But there's a critical part that needs to come with this, which will take you even closer, my friend. And that is the Holy Spirit. That is the Spirit of God. And my prayer is always, Father, above of heavens, of earth, and heavens, open up the Scriptures so that I can understand through your Holy Spirit. Now, when I start reading the Bible contextually, just to find the context, I will come across the passage which I'll read to you now. By then, my hope is the Holy Spirit will, will come to you and convict you and implore you to call upon him to find the deeper secrets of God. This is the passage as we read it. Now, again, uh, it's not part of our study, and I'm just parachuting in again in this, in this chapter. But it's your homework to go and read the whole chapter and test me to the scriptures. But look at verse 10. Now, from verse 6, it talks about spiritual wisdom. Now, let me tell to you one thing this morning. You can read the context, but you can still lack this wisdom. Wisdom only comes from God. James says, if you lack wisdom, what do you need to do? Go and look under a rock. <laughs> Go see a professor. No, no. What does he say? Come on, you know the Scripture. He says, ask it from God, who will give to you the wisdom. What is wisdom? What is wisdom? Wisdom is to apply the knowledge that you've learned. That is what wisdom is. Some people, when they get knowledge, they don't have the wisdom applied wrongly and they hurt people. Whereas the wisdom of God, with the Word of God, applied correctly, will do what? They will heal people. They will heal people. And what this world needs today, and what the church needs today, is what? Is healing of hearts. It is the preaching of the Word and the healing of hearts. It's the opening up of the eyes, it's the making here of the ears, and it's making this granite heart become a flesh heart that God can work with it. And the only one who can do that is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit... Jesus turned to His disciples. He says, I pray to the Father. Concerning who? Concerning them. He says, I'll pray the Father. And what is He going to pray for? For a happy life. Your best life now. No, no. He says, I'll pray the Father and He'll send you a comforter. Who's that comforter? The Holy Spirit. Of course. It's Him. Without Him, I don't want to do anything in life. I don't want to stand here behind this pulpit without the Holy Spirit. I don't want to wake up tomorrow morning without the Holy Spirit. I don't want to get in my car. I don't want to go to my workplace. I don't want to talk to my children. I don't want to talk to my wife. Why? Because I will mess it up without the Holy Spirit. And you say, where is the evidence? There is a whole lot of swag load of world, which is a evidence of messing it up without God. So we need the Holy Spirit. Don't take my word for that. See, see the Scriptures here. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 10. But God has revealed them to us through His Spirit. Revealed what? The mysteries of God. The Dios of Scanditos. He's revealed us to us through what? By His Spirit. Through His Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things. Yes, what? The deep things of God. There you've got it. The Spirit, it searches the deep things of God. You can read the Bible contextually. You will not get the deep things of God. You need to get the Spirit of God to show you the deep things of God. So clear. Yet people reject the Holy Spirit. They reject the Holy Spirit. Yes, today, they resist the Spirit of God. How foolish is that? to resist such a thing which can give you the deep secrets of God. The search for mankind today. Listen, the search for every person sitting in this place, every person out there in the world, they've got this emptiness inside there. The search for them is for God. But they don't want to know Him. Because I know my life and I'll live my life. Without God. Macha troche, finish and That means nothing, kaput. If that means something. He says "For in verse 11, For what man knows the things of man except the spirit of a man which is in him? How can I know you if I don't know you? There's a spirit living in you and that spirit knows you. If I want to know you, I need to do something very strange. I need to come into your body. And I need to tell your spirit to take a hike so that I can come in there for a week and live in your body. How will that be, by the way? (laughs) Oh, look, 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 just hear me out here. Let me just flow a little bit here, okay? I hear so many people complaining about their lives. Yes, isn't it true? Oh, you don't know my life. And then they complain on and on and on and on. So why don't we do this? Why don't you exchange your life for somebody who is also living and living their bodies? And maybe somebody in the Middle East this morning who's running away because they worship God or they've got a Bible, and you complain about your life? Go and live in somebody else's life. You see, somebody said one day, I didn't realize how small my problem is until I found out how big my neighbor's problem is. True. We are so self-centered people. It's all about us. <laughs> if my shoes are pushing too hard then I complain about it. But there's somebody else there without bread and food and shoes. <laughs> No, no, we need the wisdom of God to show us the deeper things of God. And how will you know a man if you except you know His Spirit who's inside of him? And now it continues on, and i will just going kind to of continue a little bit here because I want to get to the study. It goes on to say there now, He says, Even so, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. No one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. That's why if you become saved, That's not where it ends. The Spirit of God comes and lives inside of you. And do not resist Him because He opens up the deeper things of God to you, to me. Verse 13, he says, These things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. Now that's how I want to enter into our passage here in Revelation 7. Because, friends, there is so many books out there. There is so many thoughts out there. There's so many things that people say out there. And it, it forms our minds. We come to the Bible then with revelation then, with a set mindset. This is what I need to read out of the Scriptures instead of coming to the Scriptures and to get information from the Scriptures. We need to grab it from, and then we need to pray and ask God to guide us and to help us to open up the Scriptures. Now what I'm going to teach to you today, by far, I'm not saying you know, I'm the last authority who stands on The book of Revelation, by far not. I I said it earlier on, there's no man. We only see dimly. Uh, What I'm doing today is I open up the Scriptures to you to to encourage you and to to do what else? Come on. What, What does the Bible do? What are we doing this morning? We are building our faith. Did you know that? Because the Bible says in Romans, it says, faith cometh by what? hearing. And hearing by what? Preaching. We are building our faith here this morning. So as we come to Revelation chapter 7, there's this big question about the 144,000. Do you remember that? Oh, there's so many people who's got so many funny things about these 144,000. Some of it is laughable and others is actually you can cry about what people would believe about this. The Jehovah Witnesses They were the first ones. They said, look, 144,000 is the Jehovah Witnesses. And then they've got a problem when they grew so big and they passed 144,000 members. And they go, oops, (laughs) what do we do now? Well, the clever guys came out and they said, well, in fact, we understood it a little bit wrongly. There's 144 heavenly and 144 earthly. And then they started growing, growing, growing. And oops, what happened? They crossed that number again. And then the clever people came around again and said, "Oh, you know, we need to keep people going, and we need to keep them spitting them out this nonsense and rubbish under cover, though." And they, they went and they said, "Well, there's 144,000 heaven, 144,000 earth, and then and then you get 144,000 servants." Oh, of course. How dumb we would have been not to think about that. And then they continued on. And these poor servants walked around and knocked on doors and get water thrown into their faces and rotten eggs. And, and hey, man, if they can just do that, if they can hit me with a rotten egg, oh, I'm gaining so much points. And then what happened? Their number grew beyond that. And now they've said, look, we can't put numbers on this anymore. Now we don't know who the 144,000 is. But if you work hard and if you're really a very good Jehovah Witness and you knock on many doors, you might make it. Friends, that is rubbish. That is absolutely absurd. And you know what? It would be laughable if it wasn't for so many people who follow that false, devil-inspired religion. Because that's what it is. It's absolutely what it is and I feel sorry because I do know family members in my family is is operating in that I feel sorry for them not for that curseful religion who drags people down to the pit of hell then there's others I mean I remember one day I was in a car driving on the way to an airport and there's this pastor telling me what he thought the 144,000 were and he went in and he says it's the church it's us and he had a few things, and I, I prayed the way to the church, uh, to the airport. <laughs> I said, Lord, please shorten this road, because it's all nonsense. And you see, people read ideas and things into that. He said the church is, is a virgin. The church is a virgin. The members is a virgin. And how we, I mean, I, I'm not going to bore you with those details, but it's a lot of nonsense. And I would have laughed if it wasn't for People who get caught up and tangle up in that. So we're going to see in chapter 7 now two important events that's happening. One on the earth and one in heaven. And then we're going to answer some of these questions. You know, one of the questions I want to start with today is, and this question has been asked already to me in the past few weeks. Will people be saved after the rapture? Will people be saved after the rapture? I'm going to deal with that question today. And then secondly, I'm going to look at what happens to Israel because that covers it in Revelation chapter 7. Two things. And then we're going to finish this chapter. And I think I've already spent a little bit of time on the intro there, general I'm still fine for time. Good. <laughs> Let's have a look at the first one. Will people be saved after the rapture? And my answer this morning is yes. Yes. People will be saved after the rapture. It is, is, you know, how can we think that people will not be saved? And there's there's one view that came out which I want to address today, and that is that there's people who say, no, there won't be no people saved because the Holy Spirit has been taken from the earth. It's been taken out of the earth. And I must say, when I grew up, you know, I gave my heart to the Lord, and this is the view which was taught to me. Because the Holy Spirit is in the church, is in us, because it says in John that He will be with us and in us, and we're in the church, and the reasoning is that if the church is raptured away, what goes with it? The Holy Spirit goes with it. And we know that the Holy Spirit is the one who's necessary for people to come to God. Now, we find that in John chapter 16. He says in John 16, verse 8, He says, And when He has come, the Holy Spirit, He will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. So, what is the work of the Holy Spirit? One of the works. It is to convict the world. Of what? Of sin. And of righteousness and of judgment. Now, they say, if the Holy Spirit departs from, as we said, He's going to go away from the earth then who is going to convict the people of sin? Who's going to convict the people of righteousness? And who's going to convict the the people of judgment? The Holy Spirit is not here. Hence, Hence, there will be no person who can be saved after the rapture. But my question is, is that true? And where did that teaching come from? Where did that teaching come from? Like I just said, when I was in this particular church, there was a teaching go on that. And I must say, I was still young in the Word. I just followed and took on board what they said. I never tested that. Was it somebody who wrote a book? Is there a specific Scripture verse that says in the Bible that the Holy Spirit will depart the earth? Is there a verse like that? Is there one verse that says that the Holy Spirit will depart and not come back or will be away from the earth? Yes, there is, they say, and I'll come to that. But He doesn't say it like I just said it. You see, you have to change it a bit and put a little bit of a thought in there for people to believe that. And the Scripture they use is 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 6. He says, and now you know what is restraining. You see, that's the one. There's a strainer which keeps back, which holds back, that he may be revealed in his own time, For the mystery of the lawless is already at work. Only he who now restrained will do so until he is taken out of the way. You see, there you've got it. We know that the restrainer is the Holy Spirit. And they say now, it says that the Holy Spirit is going to be taken out of the way. He's going to be taken out of the way when the rapture happens and the church disappears into heaven and the Holy Spirit goes with him and the restrainer is not here anymore. Makes sense, isn't it? If it says it like that, yes. But you see, I had to explain it to you in this way for you to shake your head and say, yes, it makes sense. But is that what it really means? Again, what I always say, we need to put it into context. The three rules of good biblical preaching is context, context, context. You have to understand what is written in Thessalonians before that verse. And when you read about this verse before that, it talks about the lawless one. It talks about who? The Antichrist, who's coming into this world. Then he comes to that world and he says, there's one who's restraining him. There's a specific specific task to the Holy, to the Holy Spirit right now and it is to restrain the man of lawlessness. And if He is taken out of the way, this will come to the fourth. And He plays, or he talks right into what we are studying in the book of Revelation right now. They say, you see, taken out of the way. That happens at the rapture, and he will, he will go with the bride to heaven. But is this what the Apostle said? Is this what He meant in context? I don't believe so. Let's see. Let's go to Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 8, just a verse on. He says, and then, that to me is key. He says, and then, when this happened, when the restrainer is taken out of the way, and by the way, there is no evidence that I, I personally looked into the Scriptures, into Greek, that I find that any of these words here in English means that the Holy Spirit has been taken out of the world. There's nowhere that I could find that. But then, if we look at that, he says, when He is taken out of the way, in other words, He's holding back something which He did before. That's what that means. He's now holding back. He's not going to restrain anymore. Then He says, now in the next part, He says, and then the lawless one will be revealed. It doesn't say anything there from people won't get saved anymore, or He won't do His work of conviction of sin, conviction of righteousness, or judgment. Nothing's mentioned there. He just says, and then when He's taken out, the lawless one will be revealed... Whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with his brightness of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders. That, by the way, is the way that the NIR, the New Apostolic Reformation, is trying to get people with signs and wonders and power. Be careful. If you've got a church who's putting overemphasis on signs and wonder and powers, be careful. The Word of God needs to be number one, not these things. That's how the lawless one will come in, it says, and with all unrighteousness and deception among those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. Who gave the life of the truth? Through the Holy Spirit that they might be saved. Now because of that, they will be under the lawless one. They will stay behind. When the rapture takes place, they will stay behind. And for this reason, for what reason? Because they did not have the life of the truth. Where is the truth? Come on, tell me. It's the Word of God. The absolute truth is the Word of God. They did not have the love of the Word of the truth that they might be safe. And for this reason, what's going to happen? God will send them a strong delusion that they should believe the lie. There's a lie and they will believe it that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. And it's not going to be easy. There's people who say, well, we'll take our chances, we'll live through, I'll wait for the rapture to take place, and then we'll go through the things, and then I will come to God, it ain't going to be that easy for you. Because like I said before, now you've got your circumstances against you, then you're going to have the whole world against you. But there's one more, you're going to have Satan against you unrestrained. Because there's a restraining going on right now. Apart from the restraining of, 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 of holding back the lawless one, there's more restraining that's going on through the Holy Spirit in our day. It's against evil. And you see, the thing is, friends, yes, the Holy Spirit is working through the church. It is working currently through the church. Because it's the church who's standing against abortion, isn't it? It's not the leftist movement who's standing against it. It's the church who's standing against it. The church is restraining. And that's why the world wants to get rid of the church. Or, listen, if we can't get rid of them, what do we do? We ch- change them. We change them. And that's what's happening in our day. They, they are getting rid of them. They are killing a lot of Christians because, you know, they are all... What's this bunch of people? All? We want to do something here... You know, we want to give mothers the choice for the mistakes they make. Man, that's not a mistake, that's a sin. If you have sexual intercourse outside of marriage, it's a sin, and you will bear the you will bear the, the consequences thereof. Let's, let's be true about this. Let's be straightforward about this. Let's not beat around the bush. Let's say it as it is. Let's call a spade a spade, they say in Australia, don't they? But now what happens, because she made a mistake, let's give her her rights. Look, there's only one right, and that's the right of the child. And has that child got a, that child got a say when he's in the womb? Is, is there somewhere where they can put something on that a child can speak his mind? No. But it's the church now, with the Holy Spirit, who's restraining some of it. Yes. The church speaks out against LBGT. You know what that stands for? The gay and lesbian movement. The church stands against that. And look, I might get in trouble. This video might go out and you know, people might come around and I might go to jail. I might lose everything in my life. Why? Because we stand against it because the Word of God says it's a sin. It's a sin. That's a restraining that's going on as well. So there's a lot of restrains. The, the church is there. It was the one against pedophilia. Do you know that in some parts in the world they want to legalize pedophilia now? They should have been a, a gasp of air now in this place going a shock. <gasps> really? Yes. That's what we've been saying all along. That's what we said if you're going to legalize prostitution Where do you stop? Where do you draw the line? It's prostitution. It is abortion. It's LBGT. And and where do you stop? Next thing is they're going to say pedophilia. That's fine. You know, legalize it. And your and my children are in trouble when they go to schools and they have to share bathrooms with grown men walking there. And they're pedophilia. Hey, but the government protects them. There's one restrainer going on. It should be the church of God. We need to speak and should speak out against these things. I don't want to muddy the waters here because I'm I'm diverting a little bit about this because this talks about a restrainer now. The work of the Holy Spirit restraining the man of lawlessness. And we're still answering the question, will people be saved after and will the Holy Spirit still be part or still be on this earth? Will He be removed? Now, the thing is that people are rejecting the Holy Spirit. It happened in the flood. Even to this day, Genesis chapter 6, verse 3, we find this, And the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever. Now, God is a patient God. Who knows that? He's so patient. But then we find scriptures like this. He says, My spirit shall not strive with man forever. It doesn't mean that God is giving up. He just says, Look, I'm going to stop the restrainer. And I'm going to let you have your way. And let's see what happens. And it happens in our day. You see, so many times I preach from the pulpit and you hear messages and people, young people, old people, doesn't matter. They hear the Word of God and the Spirit of God touches the heart and stirs you to. It really stirs you. Look, I'm not trying to hype you up with emotion. I just preach the Word of God. You like it or you don't like it. That's how it works. The Word of God is straightforward. I don't want you to like me as a person. I want you to fall in love with the Word of God. Then we preach the Word of God in spirit and in truth. You know what's going to happen? It's going to come convict you but some people kicks back against the conviction no 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 i want to have my life still lord no 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 lord this is a pity sin for me lord you need to understand We're in the 21st century lord it's not likely back in the days when you know jesus and paul walked in the earth no no father we've got your ipads we've got our phones we've got our lives and everything is just swell and good lord but then he says to them there, he says, My spirit shall not strive with man forever, for he is indeed flesh. Yet his day shall be 120 years. And who knows what happens shortly after this? The flood happened. The flood happened. He did not strive with man anymore. He said, wow, but you know, you said he is a patient God. Yes, the soul lives on, the body dies, and so will happen to people who come against God and who resist the Spirit, who resist Him. Acts chapter 7 verse 51, he says to these people, this is Stephen, remember when he speak to them, he preached this wonderful sermon. You need to go, and again I'm, I'm parachuting into this verse, I apologize for time's sake but you need to go and read the whole sermon which he preached to these stiff-necked people. I love it. I love it when he comes to them and he says, you stiff-necked people. You know what a stiff-necked person is? His neck is like that, and you're not going to determine to get me to move my head. (laughs) I tried my best, by the way. (laughs) He says, you stiff-necked people. Why? And uncircumcised in what? In the heart. So what touches the heart? Listen, look at me. The Word of God touches what? Your intellect, your mind. You read it and your mind takes it in. But what touches the heart? Come on, you know it. The Spirit of God. Why were they so hard-necked? Because they were resisting the Spirit of God. They were resisting the Spirit of God. Why are people so stiff-necked today? They're resisting the Spirit of God. And they will not get saved if they do that. He says, uncircumcising in your heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did. So do you. So do you. So the question is, will the Holy Spirit leave the earth? Here's another one for you. The Holy Spirit is omnipresent. Do you believe that? Well, let's, let's qualify this. Who believes in the Trinity of God? The Trinity of God means it's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. It's three in one. So if one thing is for one true, then it's true for the other two. If we say God the Father is omnipresent, is He? Yes, He is. Then the Son is omnipresent, is He? Oh, oh, but where is Jesus then? He's not here. But He says it when He went. He says where? Two? He says, When you gather together in My name, there I am present. How does that happen? Isn't it as if we sit there and all of a sudden the doors open? Whoop, we, we're preaching in a place like this. If that happens, I'll tell you, people will run. No, no, He comes in with us. We carry Jesus with us wherever we go. Do you? Do you? We live a life acceptable to Him. He changes us into the image of His Son, the Word says. So when two or three comes together in His name, there He's present, we start talking about Him, He's there. But So He's omnipresent. What about the Holy Spirit? He's omnipresent. Now, you want to tell me that when the rapture happens, He's not omnipresent anymore. He doesn't know what's going on on the earth. No, no. He's still present on the earth. But it refers back to what happened in the Old Testament. He was present on the earth in the Old Testament. He was just not, he was just not thrown out. Thrown out the wrong word. He was just put into them like on the day of Pentecost. The full indwelling. You see, it was a promise from Jesus. Look at this in Acts chapter 2, verse 38. You remember when Jesus walked around and He said to them, Go and wait in the upper room. What will happen? You will receive power when what comes over you? The Spirit comes over you, the Holy Spirit. So they waited there. And what happened? The, the, the Spirit was placed upon them and in them. And there comes Peter. And he said to these men, He said, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sin and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. But that's not where really he stops. He says further, For the promise is to you and to your children. And if it stopped there, you and I would have sat here today without the Spirit. Because if they would have died out and their children, did they? Yes, they did. But then he says, and to all who are afar off and as many, and this is for me the cleanser, this is for me that sweet spot that it hits. He says, as many as the Lord God will call, will call. Did He call you? Did He call you? Did He That's why you're sitting here. You responded to the call of God. Look, look, let me tell you, you didn't save yourself. Don't come here and say, when I gave my heart to the Lord. You didn't give your heart to the Lord. He called you. Why do you think you still sit here? Why? Why could you come Sunday after Sunday? Why did you go the first time? Because there was a calling from God for you. And what happened? You responded to that call. You want to tell me somebody's going to make it after the rapture, sit there and call upon God and He says, nah, no, nah. Ah. He says there, that is timeless. That is timeless, my friend, until you breathe. The day you breathe out your last breath, that is finished. You can't change. That's set in stone. The Holy Spirit of promise. Now, there's one, one verse, actually, I didn't have it on there, and it just uh, reminded me in my mind now <laughs> by the Spirit that... That uh, we find in Genesis, Genesis chapter 1. Now, the very first verse of the Bible says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Do you believe that? Do you believe it with your absolute every grain in your body? Or do you believe we came from monkeys? (laughs) We're not from monkeys. My great-granddad is not a monkey. He, he says that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And now he goes on to say in verse 2, The earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And what happened next? He says, And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the water. Hovering over the face of the water. That Spirit never departed the earth. In the Old Testament, we find so many miracles. The miracles can't happen without the Spirit of God. We find so many times as the prophets prophesied, you can't prophesy without the Spirit of God. Let me tell you the prophecies coming out today by the self proclaimed prophets, it's not by the Spirit of God, it is self prophecies, it is to make a name for themselves. It's to build a following for themselves. No, no, no. The Spirit of God influenced the prophets of God to give us the Word of God. Yes. That is where prophecy is. I'm prophesying today. This is prophecy what I'm doing. He said, whoa, are you going to proclaim yourself as a prophet? No, I'm not so foolish. No, I'm not so dumb. No, no, no. If you open up the Scripture, well, what is prophecy? It's revealing something which is veiled. This is revelation. It's a prophecy. Revealing something. I'm preaching to people and sometimes they come and say, wow, I've never knew that. That's a revealing. Yes? So, I absolutely believe that there will be people safe after the rapture. Now, I again want to say that might not resonate with you. You've you've learned other ways. I'm not trying to convince you. I just want to give you the Word of God. I'm not trying to preach something which I feel comfortable with. I want to preach something which I know is right, and which is true, and which is in spirit and in truth. So we look at Revelation chapter 7 now, and we're going to see another evidence, another evidence of people coming to Christ after the rapture. Two big events, and I'll go through this, I wouldn't say in a hurry, but he's still got time. He says, After these things I saw four angels standing on the four corners of the earth, holding the four wings of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth, on the sea, or on any tree. Then I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels, to whom it was granted to harm the earth and the sea, saying, Do not harm the earth, the sea, or the trees, till... We have sealed the servants of God on their foreheads. Wow, what a mighty angel to hold back the winds! Winds is a symbol, winds, he talks about the four corners first of all, but winds is is an emblem of judgment. Now, when you look at the four corners, he sees it right there. Friend, it doesn't mean the earth is flat. It doesn't mean, and and this is written in their time, and and one can say, well, then, back in the day when they were there, they didn't travel the seven seas, as they say it, or the world or gone around, so they believed the earth was flat. That's why they said, no, no, that's not what happened. They already extensively traveled the whole globe. Why do I say this? Well, you need to understand when you go back to the book of Genesis when God at the tower of Babel dispersed them all over the world what happened it's not a flat laying down when they say the four corners of the world it points to the four directions north south east and west it shows to them it shows that this is not just something which comes from a it comes from eternity this winds of judgment comes from God it doesn't mean the earth is flat No, we've got enough evidence. And and look, like I said, if we want to read the words and and read it at the four corners, it means there's a corner here, here, and there. There is so many scriptures in the book, in in Psalms, which says the earth is on, on a pillar. And we shoot people into space. Have we seen the pillar? No, some things you need to understand how God writes it. This whole book is about emblems, but also about true things. You need to use the wisdom of the Holy Spirit to read through that. These are out of each and every direction, the four corners, the directions that they are holding back, the winds. Now, as I said, the winds is a form of judgment. These winds, these four winds, is, is terrible winds coming. Why do I say so well? This evidence is in the Scripture. It's going to harm the earth, the sea, and every tree. There is also people who did a little bit of deepest deep dive study into the... They say that um, when he talks about the earth, he talks about people. When he talks about the sea, he talks about people and the trees. And then they say, if you look at Psalm chapter 1, he says, "He Blessed is the man. They will become like trees planted by the water. He talks about a man, the men of God, people of God. But the church is removed here. So, so I don't necessarily hold on to that view. Otherwise, you know, other places they say they talk about people as trees of righteousness. Now, I believe these are winds who's going to damage the earth. Because remember, the wrath of God is coming upon the earth. And He's going to, He's going to, people are going to die. Devastation is going to take place. catastrophes is going to take place. We've already seen that when one of the seals was opened previously about this. And then he goes on to say, "This could be, um, oh yeah, the, the four angels. This could be the first four trumpets, and we'll see that as we go into next week's study. That the trumpets, once they're going to be loosed, one trumpet blows and it hits the sea, one hits the vegetation. So it could be the four four angels are going to blow the trumpets." But they're holding back. Can you imagine that they're holding back? Again, you can call that a restraining. A restraining of the judgment of God upon the earth. Listen, let let it be known that when Adam sinned, it wasn't only mankind that came under the curse, but what came under the curse as well? The earth that we are standing upon. This earth is also under a curse. Yes, the whole creation... It's under the curse and the judgment that will come upon it, the wrath of God. And again, uh, maybe next week I'll touch on it. I do not believe that the the church will go through the wrath of God. We'll go through persecution. And and you know the, it came to me when I was thinking this week. You know why? If if I put somebody to a test and they pass the test, why would I want to test them again? You know, you know why would God want to allow us to go through the tribulation? to test us, to see if we're going to hold on or we're going to fall away. Why would God want to do that? That's a different message. Let me continue. Because now He's going to talk about the servants. You see, He says it down there. He says, Do not harm the earth, the sea, nor the trees. Till. Till. And I've looked at that word till. It's a really interesting word. In Greek it's the word archi. Archi. And it means a specific point. In fact, the English word that they put next to that word is a terminus. You know what a terminus is? It's where the train comes in and it stops at the terminal. It's a terminus. It means there's a certain point of time when that will stop. He says, Hold back until a time arrives. What is that time going to be? When the sealed, the servants of God on their foreheads. The question is, who is these servants of God? And then he gives us a uh, and he tells us, Revelation chapter f- uh, seven verse four, and I heard the number of those who were sealed, one hundred and forty-four thousand, and all the tribes of the children of Israel were sealed, and the tribe of Judah twelve thousand sealed, and the and the tribe of Reuben twelve thousand were sealed, and the tribe of Gad twelve thousand were sealed, and the tribe of Asher. 12,000 were sealed, and the tribe of Naphtali, the 12,000 were sealed, and the tribe of Manasseh, 12,000 were sealed, and the tribe of Simeon, 12,000 were sealed, and the tribe of Levi, 12,000 were sealed, and the tribe of Ishashkar, 12,000 were sealed, and of the tribe of Zebulun, 12,000 were sealed, the tribe of Joseph, 12,000 were sealed, and the tribe of Benjamin, 12,000 were sealed. This happens on the earth. It's really interesting if you think that the older brother is who? Who's the oldest brother? Reuben. Who was mentioned first? Judah. I believe it was because of the penalty of Reuben. He was penalized here. And it was a big thing in those days to be pushed back as the oldest into second place. It was a massive thing for them in their day. So he got his penalty. He got his, his reward, which has been pushed back. We know that out of the tribe of Judah, who was born? Jesus was born out of the tribe of Judah. And then there's two nations, two, two not mentioned here. Dan, who remembers Dan? And Ephraim. These two were not mentioned, although they are part when in the millennial, it is gonna, you know, the land's going to be given out. Dan comes back there, but Dan wasn't part and Ephraim not here. And the reason for that is, friends, that I believe and many scholars believe, is that they introduced idolatry into the nation. It was in the days of Rehoboam, you remember him? And Jeroboam, the one was of the north and the one was in, of, of Judah of Israel and they had a war against each other. And Jeroboam, the northern kingdom. And what did he do? He set up in high places, worship places, so that they don't have to go down to Jerusalem. And the two places where they do it was Dan and the other one was at Bethel. Bethel is the name of God. It means Bethel means, this place is Bethel, isn't it? It means the house of God. It was supposed to be the house of God, but what did they do? They brought idols into the place, and hence they say you can't find them here. You can't find them here. You see, what do we learn out of that? Friend, there's a reward for you, but God will also punish It doesn't mean they're not part of it. Like I say, when you read further on in Ezekiel, when it comes to the millennial land, Dan is there, but he's not here. His name is not into this name here. And these, these are, let me just say this out to answer the question, who are these 144? They are Jews. Out of the nation, out of the tribes. You, uh, and I, I just want to go through here because I didn't mention them. They, they, you know, you've know, you got the, the Scripture verse in 1 Kings chapter 12 talking about the idolatry was set up in Dan and Ephraim. And then, then there's people who say, wait a minute, what about the lost tribes that could not be here and speak, and, and then it speaks of a spiritual Israel? The lost tribes. They say, when we come to Revelation... There's tribes that's lost, ten tribes that's gone, kaput, gone. And you get a teaching these days, friends, which is called spiritual Israel, or British Israel. Have you heard about that? You know, and they believe that they are the lost tribes of Israel. And that this could not be Jews, actual Jews, because how in the world can you find those other tribes if they were lost? And then you get a funny teaching going on about now we have replaced Israel and we are called spiritual Israel. It's also called replacement theology. And I'll tell you one thing different. I do not, I want to emphatically say it, I do not believe that we are spiritual Israel and replace Israel. God has got a plan for that nation. And here we see a part of it. I think, you know, if we want to touch on the lost tribes of Israel, it, it will do us good to read 2 Chronicles chapter 11, verse 16. Because it takes us right into the middle, right, right into the middle, between Jeroboam and Rehoboam. It takes us into that part where we see, and, and again, I'm parachuting into this. I apologize. You need to go and read the whole chapter 11. But when you read through that chapter, you will find that the Levites, when they set up these idols, they didn't want to do that. And what happened? This verse happened. He says in 2 Chronicles 11, 16, And after the Levites left, those from all the tribes of Israel, He's talking about the northern kingdom here. Go and read it. He says, those from all the tribes. What does all mean? All. And if there's ten, how many is that? Ten. We're talking the northern kingdom. Remember, down at the bottom in Israel was Judah. Okay? They were holding Israel. They, they were holding up Judah. But now in that place where they set up these idols, it says that all, all the tribes of Israel, sasa set their heart to seek the Lord God of Israel. What did they do? Did they stay there and get lost? Because we know the Babylonians came in and they destroyed utterly the northern kingdom. Did they get lost? No. What did they do? They came to Jerusalem to sacrifice to the Lord God of their fathers. Listen, friend, I do not believe that God will lose one of these tribes. Not one. And I also, yeah, you know, I was in South Africa, man, I got a phone call one day from a group there and they called them the South African British Israel. You get all these offspins. And this guy wanted to meet with me because, you know, I was preaching, I was a young man preaching around and he they wanted to pull me in. I was so naive them and they thought, well we can get this guy and could get our doctrine in his head. And even with that limited limited information I had, he started talking over the phone, and it doesn't make sense at all. You, you know, you know. Let, let me say this: even South Africans who believe we've got a pure blood in us. I mean, look at me, pure blood, South African. You know what I've got inside of with this blood? Italian. Will you believe that? German and English. Is that pure blood? I better not go further on that. <laughs> I can say things now which absolutely will go on a spin for another. I absolutely can't believe But friends, look, the danger here is, if you start meshing with the Word of God, this here talks about, he says, the tribes and the children of Israel, it would have said spiritual Israel if it was a spiritual Israel. It would have, this is how I read the Bible. And you say, oh, look, your knowledge of the Bible is really low and shallow. I'd much rather keep my shallow knowledge about this than go off on a tantrum and, and build something which is not, which is a pie in the sky. This talks about the children of Israel. And then if we get to Revelation chapter 14, it gives us another description of 144,000. It says that they had to be virgins. Devoted to God. There's so many things we can go into this, but I absolutely believe this is. Tribes, it will come from that nation. God has got a plan for them. And then he goes on in verse 9. He says, After these things I looked and behold a great multitude with no one could number. This is happening in heaven now. All nations, tribes, peoples and tongues standing before the throne and before the Lamb clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice saying, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels stood around the throne and the elders and the four living creatures and fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God. saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom, thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. It is amazing that while these things happen on the earth, what happens in heaven? There is worship going on in heaven. There is praising going on in heaven. But He identifies, He says there is a multitude which stood there from all the nations, tribes, tongues, and, and so on. Then one of the elders answered and saying to me, who are these arrayed in white robes and where did they come from? Good question. Good question. Now one would have think, if this was the church, if this was the church, a man by the name of John would have identified them, wouldn't he? He would have said it's the church. He would have said who they are, but he didn't. He says, so you know, because he didn't know. So he said to me, these are the ones who come out of what? The great tribulation and washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. He did not recognize them as the church. He recognized. No, no, he had to ask. The elder had to tell him that these were the ones who came out of the great tribulation. The day of trouble, of Jacob's trouble. These people came to, 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 to saving grace after the rapture. After the rapture. Therefore they were before the throne of God and serve Him day and night in His temple. And He who sits on the throne will dwell among them. They shall neither hunger any more nor thirst. The sun shall not strike them nor any heat. For the Lamb who is in the midst of the throne will shepherd them and lead them to living fountains of water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Now, it's really interesting to me. A question was asked to me, you know, about the bride. Do they become the part of the bride? That's a very good question. And I'm studying and delving into that. Because there's one thing that I noticed here. It did not say that they became kings and priests, does it? But what is, what is the church going to become? kings and priests kings and priests I'll leave you with that question it's a very good question and you know I thought quickly I'll answer that because I did answer my brother I said look I don't think there's going to be different groups in heaven you know it's only the the bride and so on but now I'm looking at this verse and I think look He says, therefore, uh, you know, day and night in his temple, they will be there who sits on the throne amongst them. They shall neither hunger anything. But he doesn't say what they're going to do in heaven. He doesn't say they're going to become kings and priests. It might be. But I'm not going to stand here and tell you that is what it is until I find scripture for that. Can I leave you with that question? Some homework to do? Some reading up and watch out? There might be false teaching out there about it. Don't just jump on YouTube and grab the first thing you see about it. Don't just find the first thing on Google. Read. Hence, can, can somebody just call my lovely wife there? After we finished. I'm just going to sing a song. Hence, I say, friends, I feel so inadequate. And look, if you've got the answer, praise God for that. We want to know. But you know, I, that's why I say oftentimes I feel so inadequate to preach because I know I've read through the Bible. I've studied through the Old Testament and through the New Testament. And, and again... I qualify myself saying, I'm not the person who knows this in and out. I've I've got so much more to learn. But if you don't grasp the biggest part of this, how would you be able to answer that question? Then Google will become your reference point. And with that, a lot of poison as well. Now, if you want to take a shortcut to Google and to YouTube and to whatever, by all means. But, when you get what they say, test it to the Word of God. Because this is my bottom line. He says, Scripture backs Scripture. And you don't bend the Scripture and say, Oh, your, your understanding of the Scripture, all these years were a little bit wrong. Let me give you the right understanding. Have I ever done that with you? No. I give you the Word, and we trust on the Holy Spirit. Amen. Did you learn today? Praise God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank You so much that we can come to Your Word and we can learn from You. And Father, we trust on Your Holy Spirit. Father, I've preached a lot of things and I stand on what I started off saying. We see now through a dim glass. We can only see in a mirror now. Father, thank You that the things which You open up to us that we can preach it in spirit and truth. But then, Father, the things, the hidden things, Father, those that you want to keep hidden from us for now, please, Father, you, you, you know you do that. But the things that you reveal to us, please reveal it to us, Lord, so that we can grow in your spirit, Father, that we can grow your faith. And, Father, the reason for that is to reach out to others and to touch them. As my brother said at the table this morning, to touch others. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.